Want more from your podcast app? Graduate to Pocket Casts, your free one-stop shop for podcast listening, search, and discovery. The beautifully designed app gives you more control and makes it easier to discover and organize podcasts with powerful tools to customize listening. Hear all your favorite shows at pocketcast.com or find us in the Apple app or Google Play stores. Welcome to the second episode of Flintoff, Savage and the Ping Pong Guy. That's me, by the way, Matthew Side. Uh, we've all come on with some meaty sporting issues to get our teeth into some fantastic topics. But before we get there, let's just talk about the last few days. What have we been up to, each of us? I'll start by saying that I've been researching my next book, took a week off. Um, from the Times to oh, do that. Oh, it sounds like cracking week you had, Matthew. <laughs> I've been stuck in a library. What about you two? It's not all about you, Matthew, this show, you know. <laughs> Robbie's about to stay. He was being stuck in a library too, learning to read. He's definitely, he's definitely had a blow dry. I can Joe, see that. Joe, <laughs> what a lot, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, do you know what I've been doing? I've been retweeting all the positive comments about wow, this wow, show. Right, 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 right. I'm glad you brought that up, Robbie. My, my week has consisted of, I went to Scotland with a family for three days to Lot Warm and Cameron House. Beautiful. However, my trip was spoilt by you two. How? Well, last week, did you not listen to a word I said? I did this hard-hitting piece on social media about the do's and don'ts of social media. One of the things I said was, if someone puts a compliment up, do not retweet it. All I've seen is retweets from Robbie Savage where people have said, maybe I've got it wrong about you, Rob. Maybe you're not a Burke. <laughs> so I've just been listening. Matthew Said, oh, that book again. <laughs> oh, your, oh, miss, oh, hey, your missus loves the book. You were retweeting on Twitter, like, tweeting on Twitter. You were Wait, tweeting. Yeah, I think we need to hear about this. Oh, oh, oh here we go. A bit of a plug for Matthew's book, right? The missus somehow has got all a black box thinking. She's, it's the burn of my life, Matthew. You created a monster. She's quoting it every two minutes. She's saying, can we meet Matthew? Can we go out for dinner? It'll be a meeting of minds. She said, don't worry about Robert. You can stay at home. <laughs> but that's, that's what she's been going on about, black box thinking. She think they're doing an open university degree in psychology? She's um, actually toying with the thought <laughs> of doing it. Has she never met Matthew? Uh, no. Just stick a DVD of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, That's referring back to last week, Robbie describing me my, as Skeletor, uh, which I think was slightly important. Uh, what have you been up to, Robbie? Any, anything? Um, no, I've been. It was a bit of football last week, Matthew. Um, the gym, I, my pal wasn't there. Obviously, he was in Scotland with a family. So it was just a quiet week, really. Yesterday, I was at Blackburn Man U with Scoresy on the, on the touchline. You know, I'd be flat cap on, looking absolutely sensational. To be fair, <laughs> it was a big cap to get me hair underneath. It was, it was in two minds, Matthew. Do I go full bouffant, full quiff, or flat cap? I went flat cap. I saw you on the telly. I thought it worked. No, really? On some levels. Oh. <laughs> Not all of them. But, oh. Robbie, you're going to kick off in, in the debate. And yes. I think this is a really, really interesting one. Quite surprised, actually, that you chose it. <laughs> and it's about, quite about, <laughs> about resting players. Leicester City rested 10 players in the FA Cup. And the question you're asking is twofold. One, why are footballers tired? And two... What sport takes the most out of you, And Robbie? three, why are footballers soft? That's fair. He's, fair. He's ready for this one, Matthew. So I've looked at it, Matthew, right? And so when I played, and I'm sure Fred, when Freddie was in Preston and Matthew, you were in the, 
the clubs of Oxford on the ping pong tables. Um, <laughs> I looked at it as a kid. I used to go out of the house at nine o'clock and I wouldn't get in until it went dark. My dad used to come to the playing field and said, come on, son, it's going dark, time for your bath, right? <laughs> Seriously, nine o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night, every single day in the school holidays. I played for school, I played with my mates, I played for my local team. I was playing four or five games a week as a youngster and I could have done that easily. When I was a player, three games a week was not a problem for me because when you play three games a week, Fred and at Matthew, you'd hardly train. You'll have you'll play on a Saturday, you'll have an off day off on a Sunday, a massage and a bit of a warm down on a Monday. You might have a game on a Tuesday, Wednesday, but on Thursday you'll have a little massage. Friday you do it next to nothing, play on a Saturday. So I've worked it out. That is about... If you say so, what you say, you're yeah. saying that footballers should be playing more than once a week. Most definitely, it's not in question. Players shouldn't need a rest. So, a few stats for you, Matthew. I know you're very technical and clever, so I thought I'd try and back up an <laughs> argument. I, I need to start doing that. He's on. Come on, Fred. What about me? I'm sat here, buddy. Yeah, yeah, correct. So, average per ninety minutes for a footballer is about eleven and a half. Kilometers. Is that it? Is that it? Yeah. Seriously. And I watched Arsenal at Champions League last week, and I reckon they walked most of it. Well, they didn't even run them lads, did they? No wonder they got beat five-one. So didn't even move. What was he called? That good one? Which one? Sanchez. Özil. No, the other one. Özil. Özil didn't move. He had to rub his foot marks out on grass. Eleven kilometers. Oh my word. So if you say you play three games a week, that's thirty-three k, right? But Sprints. Let's look at sprints. What would what would an average um, player do? Number of sprints a game. I would say fifty sprints. Is this a fact? Or are you just making this no, up now? Yeah, <laughs> you I, said you've hammed to the yeah. teeth. With so, facts. for instance, sounds about right. So, for instance, the more sprints. Uh, October two thousand and fifteen. Matt Ritchie done a who. Done a who? Done a who? Done a hundred and two sprints. That's oh. more than average, right? So, what I'm saying is. Let's compare that to other sports, Matthew, right, and Fred. Mm -hmm. Tennis. Djokovic, right, at the end of the Australian Open, he run 25.4 kilometres. That's all the way through the tournament, though. Yeah, correct. So is that all he's done? Listen, listen. But that movement will be completely and utterly different to a football player. But half the time at tennis, they don't even go for him. Oh, he's hit it hard. It's a good serve. I'll let that one go. They don't move. Cricket. Cricket. Let me tell about uh, a test I, match. I right? know about cricket, Rob. I know. On Boxing I used Day. To do it. On Boxing Day, Johnson, the Australian, Mitchell Johnson, he run 23 kilometres and that had 144 sprinting. That's yeah? a quiet day at the office. A quiet day. That's a quiet day at the office. If you bowl 25, 30 overs in a day, you're doing at least a marathon. Which, to be honest with you, beggar's belief. I was doing that four or five times a week. Why was I so fat? <laughs> Why? Well, 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 we'll come what? on to that later. What we'll was that putting in my system? I was doing a marathon a day. We'll come oh. on to that later. Robbie, it's your yeah. point here that, that it shouldn't be the case that top footballers are being rested for the FA Nonsense. Cup. They should be able to be able Tell to me play why. the league, yeah. to play the FA Cup. Yeah. So Leicester made not just a strategic mistake, they're making a mistake about the fatigue of the players, you're Listen, saying. Matthew, since I've retired, and it started to come in when I was still playing, the red zone, sports scientists. Explain the red zone. So the Rob. red zone must be, Fred, like the red zone where your body is at its maximum and you are liable to maybe pull a hamstring, right. pull, a, pull, a, pull a calf, because you are in this red zone, your body must be at its maximum. But I'm not having none of it. I'm not having none of it. I remember playing Hereford in the FA Cup, right? It was the third game in a week. We went to Edgar Street, drew nil-nil, 
and they were in the, the, the I think the bottom tier of, of English football we were in the in the Premier League under Martin O'Neill the replay went to extra time and it was Hereford we won the game 2-1 and on the back of that because my fitness levels I got a new contract off Martin O'Neill not because I play well against Liverpool or Manchester United against Hereford United in extra time I was sensational right sensational on the back <laughs> and on the back of that it was your best <laughs> game against Hereford <laughs> <laughs> but I got a I'm new contract because of my fitness level. So I'm going to say it's absolute nonsense, nonsense. Footballers cannot play three games a week. Why managers do not pick the players? Do we ever see Messi and Ronaldo getting rested? No, also as well, what do the players think of this? Say like the Leicester players, come into the FA Cup, you say there's 10 changes. If the manager goes over to a player and says, look, I'm going to rest you, have they got the right to say, hang on a minute? No. Yeah. I want to play. I like playing football. Why would I want to rest? I remember Nigel Clough, right? I was 30, 35 at Derby, going to Leicester City, my old club. And one of my best games for Derby on the Saturday. This game's on the Wednesday. I was at the front of the bus looking forward to it. I was sitting next to a guy called Shefki Kuchi. Do you remember him? No. He's, he's, he, he was a guy who played for Ipswich for set forward. And we're sitting there looking. And the gaffer walked the front of the bus. He went, Sav, um, Shefki, I'm going to give you a rest today. So I looked at him, I said, are you mad? I've had my best game, I'm fit. I, I, so I got in the chain room, I threw my wash bag at the... Oh, that showed him. showed him. You threw yeah, your yeah, Louis yeah, Vuitton wash Louis Vuitton, bag. It was Louis Vuitton, yeah. Fred, let's you not must, forget that. You must have been fuming. Yeah. <laughs> but there was, there was so conditioner what, everywhere. <laughs> Robbie, you're, yeah. go, you're going for tennis as the sport where the players push themselves the hardest. They're the people who are the closest to the red zone the most I would say so, Matthew, because you think of the movements... Most most of sprints, the change of direction, the, you know, they're in um, squat positions at times, you know. <laughs> at times. Yeah, I, I, I can't believe about all the sports you see. Let me just jump in here. I'm going tennis. Say, look, I'm with you, Robbie, I'm with you on Leicester. I think that was wrong to rest that many players for the FA Cup. But just take a step back for a second. You mentioned the Australian Open, the amount of running that the players did there. In the heat, in the, the heat. In the heat, after the Australian Open. Andy Murray didn't play against Canada in the first round of the Davis Cup. Miles oh, Raonic didn't play in the Davis Cup. Vavrinka well, and Roger Federer, they didn't play for Switzerland. In fact, they haven't done since 2014. Nadal got to the final of the Australian Open, withdrew from Spain's tie. David Ferrer withdrew from Spain's tie. Kaina Shikuri from Japan, sidelined for the Davis Cup. What tennis players are doing is they are peaking four times a year. They're not, they Matthew, there's other tournaments. No, 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 they play ATP <laughs> for sure. tournaments. But those are the big oh. climactic moments of their season. Don't and get him started, hus- Matthew, he's going to throw his wash bag. But they, <laughs> they husband their strength. They make sure that they optimise their fitness and readiness for the four big moments. And they often withdraw from the Davis Cup. In the Olympics, they only have to peak one day Every four and then, years, yeah, and then they get after an MBE. The, yeah, later. exactly. They, and after the Olympic Games, they often take six months off. They peak for one day every four. Footballers, I think you're doing them a massive disservice. Matthew, Thirty-eight Matthew, games in the Matthew, Premier Matthew, League, Matthew, League Cup, Matthew, Champions Matthew, League. Matthew, Matthew, I, I can't believe what I'm hearing. I didn't expect this from you. Are you on the side of the footballers need to be rested? I can't get my head around this. Me, I have me. no doubt whatsoever that if you selected the players for every single game, they would go out and they would put in a shift. What I'm saying is that I can understand why a manager is thinking to himself, you know what, 
given that I have this many players, this many members of the squad, I need to make sure that I rest people for certain games so that they can play to their peak capacity when it really matters. Football, they have to peak three times a week. It is totally unique as a sport because the Champions League matters, the FA Cup matters, the Premier League matters. All right, all right, and I, I think you're being unfair to footballers. Oh, well. In my opinion, I, I, footballers are heroic in the amount of oh, times they peak during a oh, season. Oh, Matthew, footballers are heroic. Did you know what's Joey Barton on the weekend? There's nothing heroic about that. Also, as well, I can't believe that you're saying this. You're saying that some games matter more than most. You say that to a football fan. I've seen oh, football point, fans. Fred. You go into Man City's ground, Old Trafford, stand in the middle and say this game you are watching is not important, whether it's the league, the Europa, whatever it may be. You can play more than once a week. As a player, they thought about doing this with cricket, having a rotational system where they'll come in, you'll pick your games. No, I said, if I'm fit, I'm playing. I'm playing. That's it. I'm not giving anybody else a chance, one, to take my position. I've earned this position. And unless someone does better or I do badly, you're not having it. And cricket, believe it or not, I actually enjoyed it. I wanted to play in every game. And as a footballer, why wouldn't they want to walk out in front of 20,000, 30,000 people... 70 in some instances at United, as much as they can. Don't tell me these people are heroic. Come on, come on, guys. Come on, Matthew. Look, look, I think that, look, I'm not saying that Don't footballers... Don't backtrack, Matthew, look, no, 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 Hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm not saying that every single footballer is putting in a shift every single week. What I am saying is that when a lot of athletes are resting over the Christmas period, the footballers are there on Boxing Day, oh, throughout poor, that oh, winter poor, break, poor, going poor. away from home. And try, And also, what am I, when you what, think what, about... What was I doing on Boxing Day? Eating. I was at Melbourne for two and a half days getting my pants pulled down by the Aussies. Freddie, you can't I tell played me. in Boxing Day. Look, Pakistan, I... when I was 19, I had a Christmas in Pakistan. I was playing Christmas Day. Don't give it to me. I wasn't even getting paid under 19. He's sweating. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm off. If you're a a batsman in cricket, okay, when you're having your innings and you can go out for a duck, most people's average is less than 50. Most of the time, they're not running. They're they're out on the outfield and they're just standing there walking around. It's nowhere near as intense as football. 90 minutes, three times a week, fiercely meritocratic, all around the world, people looking to play football. Cricket's not close to that. I'm going to admit, 26, how many sprints? 160. Every time you run up and bowl, you have a sprint. I was an all-rounder, Matthew. Don't talk to me. No, you're around when you play cricket. I used to have to bowl. (laughs) I used to have to bat. I'm not even stopping for breath. I'm not listening to you, Rob. Hey. (laughs) I had to do everything. I batted, I bowled, I waited to play every game. And I don't want to bring money into it. However, they don't do it for free. They get uh, quite They're heroic, well according to Matthew. Oh, it's, it's heroic. What about cricketers being rested, Freddie? I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it. Every game you play, this is the problem with football, right? This is one of the major flaws in the game where players move from club to club to club to club. They don't care, they just want to get paid. It doesn't matter where they're playing at. Cricket is different. Every time you walk out, for, for me, for Lancashire, for England, it meant something. You did not want to miss think, one of them games. Look, Freddie, I think you're being unfair. Look, look back to, say, the best season of any English club in the history of football. That's Manchester United in the 98-99 season. When... Arsenal played United in that famous uh, second-leg semi-final against Arsenal, Villa Park. Giggs was dropped by Ferguson. He wasn't in the starting lineup. Did he want to play? 
Absolutely. It was desperate to play, but Ferguson knew they had Juventus the following week in the second leg of the Champions League semi-final. They had the run-in in the Premier League. They had the FA Cup. He had to actively explain to Giggs that he needed that energy, that spark, that inspiration. He came in in the second half. He scored in extra time. When footballers arrested, arrested that doesn't mean that they're not lazy. They're we, not lazy. We didn't say that. Some manager saying said we need to make sure that the reserves that we've got, the reserves of strength in a long season, we need to husband that strength. I mean, and look, <laughs> Ferguson took United to the treble. If he hadn't rested players, if he hadn't rotated, if he hadn't thought about what they call periodisation to make sure people are peaking at the right time, United would never have won the treble. I'm genuinely I, amazed. Did, did, do you know when you was ping ponging? Did, did, did you have to get rested for the big tournaments? <laughs> yeah. You know, when the Bath Two Star was coming up, let me tell you, I took a break. <laughs> so, Matthew, can I just, so you, just to end this in, I'm yeah. going to say I believe tennis players are fitter than footballers. That's my statement. I would say there are different types of fitness that marathon runners obviously have a type of endurance that is different to 800-metre runners, that is different to tennis players, and that footballers generally, you talk to the sports scientists at some of these top clubs in the world, some of the best researchers out there, footballers are optimised for what they need to do. And what they need to do is play good football three times a week during a gruelling season. And I genuinely think, I'm not saying this to be controversial, I think, Robbie, you're doing a disservice to footballers up and down the country by saying that they're lazy. I didn't say they were lazy. And by never implying said they were that they're lazy. not very fit. I never said they were lazy. I said, how can you not play three games a week? I didn't say they were lazy. I said, how can that you might, not that, play? That might have been me, that. Yeah, Matthew. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Fred. Right. Fred. Uh, what, what I will say is when you're talking about sportsmen and who's the fittest, well, this is a complete no-brainer. The stats, the stats don't lie. Cricketers are, don't they've got... No, 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 no. How can you say that with a straight face? Well, listen to me. (laughs) You mentioned endurance for marathon runners. We do it every day. You mentioned sprinting. 160 times you sprint up and down, going to the crease. If you're batting, you're going forward. Strength. You were doing that to the buffet. (laughs) (laughs) Strength. The strength to hit it out of the park and ball fast. Explosive power. We've got everything. We have got the lot. And also as well, this is how fit I was. I had 10 pints every night. (laughs) You do not even think about not calling me one of the world's finest athletes. Next subject. Now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think game set and match there to, to Freddie, if not in terms of argument, right. definitely in terms of passion. Right, moving on. You're listening to a BBC Five Live podcast. Flint off, Savage and the Ping Pong Guy. If you like this, you might also like this. The Five Live Football Daily. Don't forget you can continue the footballing conversation on social media. Just search for at Five Live Sport. To find out more about our range of podcasts, click, tap or swipe. bbc.co.uk slash five live. Because this is actually a slightly more solemn question and it's been raised by Fred, and it's an interesting one. (laughs) Retirement. Retirement from sport. All of us have been sportsmen. I know you don't think ping-pong's a sport, Robbie, slightly unfairly. (laughs) But at one point in your life, you get to a cliff edge. One day you're a sportsman, the next day you are no longer a sportsman. Freddie, talk to us about what that's like, some of the issues that come into play. This is something which... I've spoken about a little bit my battle, I suppose, with retirement. And the one thing I like to hear as well is fellow sportsmen, there's experience of it. I found it tough. 
for the simple reason, ever since I was six years of age, all I ever wanted to do was be a cricketer. <laughs> I was so fortunate I did that till I was 31 years of age. Cricket... It gave me a life. It gave me an identity. I think mm. one of the main things. And when it was taken away, it was it took everything. It was mm. like, what do I do with myself? Who am I? What am I doing? You'd be on a plane. You'd be filling in your forms, and it'd be saying occupation. I don't know. I was yeah. a cricketer, but what am I now? And the strange thing is, I used to sit there. I hated it. I couldn't watch the game. I didn't want to be around it. I couldn't see other people doing it because I felt I should be playing. And even now. It's really bizarre. I reckon I dream about cricket every night. I wake up some mornings, right, and I've played a game of cricket or I've, I've made a comeback, and I'll open my eyes and I'll be so happy when I wake up because I think I'm playing cricket again. Yeah. And then about five minutes later, I'll go and brush my teeth and I think, no, I'm not, am I? Oh, it's back to five live. <laughs> Is that why you went back to the big bash? I got an opportunity. Couldn't let it go. I, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to let it go. And, you know, I... As a result of that, mentally, oh, it, it took its toll on me. You know, you talk about things like depression, which I've openly spoken about and suffered from. I hit the bottle too hard for a period of time. All these things. I moved around. I moved to Dubai. I moved down south. It was almost trying to escape a previous life. But the problem was, wherever I went, I took all these thoughts and all these feelings with me. Yeah. And the most bizarre thing, it's, this is one of the strangest things. I've been thinking about this all week. And my mind, even though there's a lot going on in there, but it will not accept the fact that I cannot play cricket anymore. It does not understand. It's it's really it's really really strange. You know, I'm probably suffering from cognitive dissonance or something like that, Matthew. You you know that, don't you? Know what that is Rob. Listen, you lost me there, Fred. <laughs> it's, re- there. it's really interesting, Freddie. That you know, the honesty is 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 raw as well, and you can. What was the lowest point for you? Do you think? Um, the lowest point was it was building up to retirement. I In 2009, I played my last series for England against the Aussies and I retired from Test Cricket before the Lords Test. And quite bizarrely, when I retired as a bowler, I was bowling faster than I'd ever bowled before. I was bowling better than I ever bowled, albeit surviving on injections and all sorts just to get me on the park. Mm. And the realisation, knowing that this is going to stop, and then the last series I played, I was going around the grounds, I was playing, I couldn't really move, and I knew it was coming to an end. And I kidded myself, and I tried to come back and back, and it was in a hotel in Glasgow. I went to see the specialist who was looking after someone else, and over Eggs Benedict, he just turned around and said, you've got to do something else now, you, 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 you're spent. And the realisation, because I've been kidding myself for so yeah. long that I will come back from this, just dawned on me. It's like, what am I going to, what am I going to do? What, what what am I? Do you know when you went to the Big Bash? Yeah. So, because I watched that watched that with you know on the on a, on a morning um, when I used to get out of bed and you know because you wear Freddie Flintstone, you always put yourself down because you wear one of the best all rounders the country's ever seen. Let's let's the five four in that Ashes series. You know because you you couldn't accept the fact that you could no longer play cricket when you went to the Big Bash, knowing that you couldn't. Do you weren't Freddie Flintoff? You weren't that all-rounder hero. Was that frustrating to think that you're going in and thinking, if only I was the Freddie of 10, 15 years ago? No, do, do you know what? In in that tournament, I got so frustrated the fact that I couldn't do what I wanted to do. I I couldn't 
run up on ball at 90 mile an hour. Batting, I felt all right. I couldn't run in the field. I couldn't do the things I wanted to. But however, as hard as I found it and as bad as we were as a team and myself, I don't think I've ever enjoyed playing cricket as much for years because I never thought I'd get the chance to do it. And sometimes as a player, the games become so thick and fast that you, you take it for granted. You don't stand in the field at Wards or Old Trafford and you don't look around and you don't take it all in and you don't realise how good this is at the time. And when I was in the Big Bash, what, three years ago, I was doing more of that than actually playing. I was just thinking, how oh, lucky am I? How, how is it I am doing this? I felt like a child again. And I wish I'd have taken that through all the way through my career when I was a professional. But when it stops, we've seen so many instances of people who struggle with retirement. It's almost like for me at 31, I was 16 again. Hmm. When I was 16 at Old Trafford, I walked into a dressing room. I was unsure of myself. I didn't know if I belonged. But then through cricket, I got a sense of that. And then when you go into the media, into TV, into radio. I felt like that 16-year-old boy again who's not quite sure what he's doing, trying to carve out a living, doing something else. And as much as I've been so lucky and I've loved it, I would swap it all for one more day at Lords really? in England shirt. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, what about you, Rob? Well, my demons were more when I was playing at Derby. You know, I went to Derby. Um, it was a big signing, trying to keep him in the Premier League and I failed. And then the manager and I didn't see eye to eye. And then I was training with the kids, you know, the youth team. I was, I was, you know, I was made to feel um, the lowest I've ever felt in my life to the mm. fact on a Saturday afternoon I'd be walking around the traffic centre with my wife and people saying, you're not Robbie Savage, You'll be, you, you should be playing today. I was only 34 and I was thinking, yeah, this is it. This is the end. This is the end for me. And at that point, because I, I still felt I had two years left in me, mm. that was low. I was low, Matthew. I was... You know, I was contemplating things which, in my head, which I never thought I would ever contemplate because I was no longer Robbie Savage, the footballer, the pantomime villain. I was just a normal guy on the street. And there's nothing, I mean, that, and that, for me, it was so low. But the funny thing is, when I got to 36, I could have stayed another year at Derby. But I knew the time was right. I remember, it was, I was sitting around in, a January, in January, the season I retired, and I just put a tweet out. This is my last season. It just come to me, and it was I didn't not say, planned. Not planned. Two two story. I've never said this before. I was sitting in a room, and Gary Neville had just renounced his retirement, and I was and I was thinking about it, thinking, do you know what? I'm 36, going on 37. I just got my phone, and I said, this will be my last season. So I went into the club the next day, and Nigel Clough was there. I said, is this it? Yeah, because I'd already started six or six. I was I planned, mm. I planned my future. Obviously, with six or six, and I, I had an inkling I might do strictly. So I thought, right, this is it. This is it. So at that point, from the point when I was 34, thinking, oh my, I can't accept this because my, somebody's ending my career for me yeah. and I can still play, to the point where, no, it's my decision. I'm going out when I want to go out. And to be fair, Matthew, for me, I'm one of the lucky ones. You know, I'm not the cleverest, I'm not the brightest. You know, I work hard. And for me to have this career I've got now, every day I get up, we're laughing at. I'm just, I'm just laughing that yeah. finally we've got some honesty from you. <laughs> I, was going, I was going deep then. I know, but I was going I, I, I just the, I was not going the cleverest. You know, it's, it's Matthew, I was going deep then. No, I know. It's fascinating because, you know... So, so sport, what I was going to say, Matthew, yeah. but... So when I had retired, yeah, but I had this, I, I'd done Strictly, and that gave me a purpose to get out of bed every morning instead of watching daytime yeah. TV. 
now I've got the gym with Fred and Stanley and all, all my pals. We go to the gym, and it's it's a, th- a routine. I need a routine in my life, and I've got it now. Um, but the most bizarre thing is when you retire. That first day you get out of bed, you're thinking, that's it, I've got nothing to do. To the point where the doctor, you have a doctor, you have a dentist, you have everything taken care of you. You know, you phone up a secretary, your secretary at the football club, if you want to go for something to eat at a restaurant, everything's done for you. And all of a sudden, you've got to do it yourself. It's true. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? It's true. But it's bizarre. Also, the interesting thing you said there, Robbie, was you had a routine. When I was playing cricket... I hated routine. I rebelled against everything. And then when I retired, I actually realised, actually, I really do need a routine. I was just drifting along. And the strange thing is, you spend all that time part of a team or working for an organisation for ECB. And... You know, when you retire, it just stops. Stops, yeah. It stops. It stops. It's that all of a sudden. You don't That's get it. you don't get an email off anyone. You, you don't it. get you don't get like you get an handshake. Well done. Thanks yeah. for popping in. Yeah. And then somebody else comes in and takes your spot and you forgot That's about it. Oh, the wedding invites from your teammates <laughs> and the christenings and all this stop. It's like what's wrong with me? I've only retired. I'm I'm still here, but everybody else moves on. And I've yeah. I've seen it with other people when I was still playing. And you never want it to be you, but then you're the one sat there. At home. It's horrible, isn't it? Thinking, well, hang on a minute, what about me? Because we work hard, and people might disagree with that, but we do work hard. We, we are, I, I would think that myself and Freddie, um, Matthew, are mm. lucky because I think that I know lots of footballers out there who suffer, yeah. the, you know, who, who are suffering in silence yeah. by, you know, what do they do in the day? They've got you know, no well, job you, prospects. You, All they do is football. Yeah, you guys, I think, were quite strategic. I mean, the real paradox here is that to become a great sportsman, you have to be obsessive. Sport yeah. has to be all-encompassing. Yeah, you have to wake up thinking about sport. You go to bed thinking about sport. You dream about it to find all of those marginal gains, all of those improvements to be the best you can be. But also, and then it goes. But also, and then it's gone. To you, Matthew, you know, you, you, you had your table tennis and you was Britain's number one. Was that the one thing you wanted to be or when the table tennis finished allowed you to be the person you wanted? You, you're an author, you're into your politics, you're into all this, that and the other, journalism. Well, so was it an easy transition no, for you? No, it wasn't. And, and I was a bit like Robbie. Started dropping down the world rankings when I got into my early 30s. And table tennis was absolutely the epicentre of my life. You know, I wanted to be the best I could be. But I realised my body wasn't there anymore. Couldn't keep doing what I needed to do and stop laughing, Robbie. And I, I, did, I, did, I thought to myself, it's going to come to a point where I have to give up this sport. And I started thinking quite strategically, what else could I do with my life? What's going to give me meaning? What's going to make me want to get up in the mornings? And so I started looking at politics, which I was interested in at the time, and I stood for Parliament, for Labour, just after the Sydney Olympics. I started writing columns for the Times. I mean, I was terrible at the beginning. Robbie still thinks I am. But once a month, and I'd occasionally get in. But suddenly I had something that gave me a bit of energy. But was it tough? Yes. And do I wake up pretty much every day thinking about what it was like to walk into a stadium at the Olympic Games and play against the best players in the world in a game that I loved? Absolutely. Did you did you try and chase recreating them feelings? Yeah. And what 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 did you do to try and recreate them? You know, I think, and I don't know if you'll agree with this, that that when you're out there competing hard in front of an audience, it's a bit like a narcotic. You know, you get rock stars who can't replace what it was like to be on stage, and they turn to drugs as a consequence. I don't think I found anything that gives you the high of playing sport. 
nothing quite like that. Mm. But I've got to say, you know, there are other things that I really enjoy doing. You know, I, I quite enjoy broadcasting. I quite enjoy writing for the Times. Uh, I think these are not the same as sport, but at least they give you a direction. They give you a focus. They give you a routine. And that, so one back to you, Freddie, because I'm. Yeah. You, you talked about the demons. You talked about the low. Do you think you've reconstructed an identity today that you're happy with, that you're content with? And where does family fit into that? Family now is, well, has, I suppose, been the most important thing. One of the things I've found, especially with sport and cricket, is through my son's eyes, I have now fallen back in love with cricket. And I love being mm. around it. I love talking about it. I love coaching my kids. I love seeing it. I'm probably happier in some ways in my life than I ever have been now. I'm far more relaxed. I found that competition brought the best out in me, but also brought the worst out in me. I'd have to win at all costs. Whatever mm. it was, I'd have to win at all costs. So now I shy away from competition because I don't like myself. If I'm being brutally, brutally honest, though, I still feel a part of me is missing. Mm. I really do. And I love my family and I love being around mm. them. And I'm so fortunate the fact that I've got to do some incredible jobs since I've retired. However... I still desperately want to be a sportsman. Yeah. And you talk about trying to recreate them feelings. I tell you what, when I walk out, when I used to walk out to bat at Wards and you walk down them steps and then you've got the crowd, you've got them feelings in your tummy of nerves. Yeah. Um, you're so nervous because it means so much to you. You look at the end of your mark, you look up and you've got Brett Lee charging in. And as he gets closer, all your senses start coming sharper, your eyes focus. You, you feel you can move faster. You can feel you do anything. Nothing I have ever found will ever replace them feelings. And don't get me wrong, I've tried. I tried boxing. I thought if I box, yeah. I'll get myself fit. I'll be a professional sportsman. <clears throat> One more time, I'll have a fight in the Manchester Arena. When I walk out of that ring, I can put that side of my life to bed. I never got to finish cricket in the way in which I wanted to. But maybe this boxing, if I get beat, I don't care. If I win, I don't care. But I just want to leave that part of me to one side. Yeah. And the worst thing about it, when I walked out, luckily I, I ripped my shoulder out. I was thinking, whilst I was in the fight, I'm going to play cricket again. Look at me, I've got abs and everything. If I can't play cricket now, I'm never going to play. And it was in some ways I got injured that it saved me from making yeah. a, embarrassing yeah. myself. Sav, just the last one to you on this. It's a really fascinating topic. You know, what advi First of all, how do you feel about yourself now? post-football, uh, yeah. and also, just one other thing, what advice would you give to young footballers? See, my sense when I go into football academies, which I do from time to time, is they think their football career is going to last forever. Mm. They don't give any thought to the fact that at one day in the future they're going to have to stop playing football and they're going to have to find meaning in their lives in a different kind of a way. What advice would Matthew, both of Matthew, you give? Matthew, Matthew what, what is it about that? I know, I know you're in, into the psychology of sport and psychology in general. How is it that you, when you're 25, 26 year old, you know that in 10 years time, you're going to be retired. But you still kid yourself and convince yourself you're not going to be. Yep. Do you know, I, for me, it's denial. It's such a big part of who they are and a big part of their life that they can't bring themselves to step outside what they're currently doing and imagine a world where they're not playing football. I've been into academies and I've sort of said, you know, what about education? What about thinking about how you navigate your way from what you're doing now into a post-football career? Because you don't train every day, as Robbie rightly pointed out. It's not 24 hours a day. There are opportunities to think strategically Matthew, about life. And do you know what? Most of the time, there don't. is total 
uninterest because oh, you be they're in denial. Oh, exactly. All you want to be is a football. Oh, Freddie wanted to be as a cricketer. All I wanted to be was a footballer. You know, I'd done a B-Tech in Accrington, Uni- in, in Accrington College. and Accrington stuff. University. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, yeah. yeah Accrington's a city. Yeah, Accrington <laughs> College. But, you know, did I, I, was, I haven't got what a clue you, about it, it, it when I was at class 92. But I didn't want to do it. I just had to do it because you had to do a course. But if anybody said to me, plan for your future, Matthew, I would have said, no, you might, all I'm going to be is a footballer. But you know, going back to your first question, how would I feel now? You know, I'm happy because retirement... I knew it was the right thing to do, and I ended it in my terms. Do you know what I mean? And that was the thing. Like, if I got injured, like, yeah. you know, Freddie retired, a piece of me would still think, I didn't finish it. Football, I finished it, I ended it, yeah. and I can go to bed every night thinking that was the right decision. I'd never wake up thinking it was the wrong decision to tie. Would I still love to have played? Of course. But how I look now, listen, I'm very, very fortunate. There's, there's, better, there's better people out there than me, better footballers, better journalists, better broadcasters. But I'm the fortunate one who is doing this job because we, we all work hard, Matthew. So, you know, what advice would I give to young kids? You know, I would say, you know, every day make sure you enjoy it because you never know when... My little boy is in the academy now and I say to him, you've got an experience, you've you got an opportunity, do not waste it. You know, there, there are sacrifices you have to make and I made every one, it's depending on what type of player you are. I wasn't gifted with, with pace, with skill... You know, so I had to get the most out of my body every single day. Yeah. I didn't drink, you know, I didn't go out. You know, girls used to knock on, on, on the house where my mum lived. I used to hide and hide away because I just wanted to be a footballer and I give up everything to be a footballer. And, you know... You used to hide from girls. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Me, you used to knock on the door. I was. Well, you I used was to a, come round the house. I was a half decent looking This lad. is the difference between cricket and what football. I was, I, was, <laughs> I, I, I used to be in Tokyo Joe's till three o'clock in the morning for the last dance <laughs> to, try and, to try and get hold of something. It never so, worked. What, so, do you, what do you do? Or play so, cricket? Oh, never mind. <laughs> so with with that note of Robbie Savage running away from girls, let's move on to the final time. This is my topic. Oscars later this week. I want to talk about what are the great sporting films. And before getting on to that and your opinions on it, Robbie and Fred, just a quick thought on the difference between sport and movies, because movies have a scriptwriter. It's bolted down the plot in advance by the director, by the producer, by the person who comes up with the words. There is a set-in-stone narrative. Sport, for me, the reason it has enduring significance is it's unscripted. We don't know the result when United play Arsenal, Murray, Djokovic, England against Australia at the Ashes or Buster Douglas against Tyson. You have this collision of wills, two teams, two individuals wanting to win... And there's this deep uncertainty. And I think that is what attracts us to sport and what makes it fundamentally different from art, fundamentally different from movies. It's not to say that films and movies aren't important, but it's a different kind of experience. And I just wanted to throw it out there. I think that is the greatness of sport is that it is unscripted. Having said all that, having said all that, I'm going to go for, as my top sports film ever... And one of the reasons... Forrest Gump, because he plays table tennis. <laughs> yeah, what a backhand as well. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, I'm going to go Jerry Maguire. Oh, show me the money. That's you all over. You all over, Matthew Said. It's rubbish. Jerry Maguire. Oh. Don't like it? I, do, you know, do you know what? I, 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 do, I do and I don't. 
It is quite a watchable film. That but it, speech, but, that's that motivational speech. For, it does bring. Don't you get me on pimples. that. We'll come on to that it in a minute. Motivational goose, speech. It does bring goose pimples to you. Pimples. <laughs> goose pimples. What are they called? Goose, goose pimples. <laughs> goose pimples. Jane Maguire. <laughs> I, I I like the film. However, I think it shows what's wrong with sports management as well. Yeah, it's just, but that... it's wrong. But you, you get to, you know you, you mentioned sport and acting, right? I'm doing a bit of acting. I've been doing it for a year or so. Apparently, I'm not bad, they reckon, so I might get a part in something. <laughs> but the parallels are quite close. Hmm. I, through my sporting career as a cricketer, I acted all the way through my career. I was playing a cricketer. I was playing the person that I wanted to be. The, in, re, in reality, I was quiet. I was self-unassured. I'd, I'd sooner be on my own and sit in the house. Hmm. But get me in a cricket ground or in an arena, I will turn into what people wanted. I'd become this Freddie yeah. Flintoff type character. I would take it on. I would play the hero, or I'd try to. And you talk about scripted. You know, I, I, I can tell you some days I reckon I wrote the script because <laughs> I walked into a ground knowing exactly what was going to happen. And on the flip side, I knew what was going to happen for a bad thing as well. So I, I think the parallels yeah, are quite it. close. I was, a, I was known as the pantomime villain, Matthew, because when people meet me, and Fred alluded to on the last week's podcast, that, you know, when you actually meet me, I'm actually all right. You know, when I was stepping to the ground, you know, I loved getting booed. I loved winding the opposition players and fans up, you know, and I loved getting to tackles and, you know, acting stupid and, and stuff like that. But that was me in the ground, but... When as soon as I got off the pitch, I was just a nice, quiet lad who loves my family, yeah. like Fred, and you know, have a bit of laugh with my pals. Got the same pals, you know. So I was, it was, and Fred is right. When you step into that theatre, it is like a film, and it is. I'm a different. I was a different character on yeah. the pitch as I'm now. You it's, get, you kind of get into character. You have to yeah. be a different I, I, person I, in order to really. Yeah. Just, just circling back. Let me just quickly justify Jerry, Jerry Maguire. Maguire. Yeah. I mean, there are probably more artistic and creative films out there. Raging Bull, classic Scorsese, De Niro, This Sporting Life. Oh, really? But what I love about Jerry Maguire is it the thing that you pointed to, Freddie? You know, it was deconstructing the cynicism that often exists in sport, particularly amongst agents and their relationships with the players. And it was also a wonderful love story and. A brilliant, fantastic, motivational speech. Now, Robbie Savage. Are you a bit of a softie when it comes to movies, Matthew? Are you a fan of a rom-com as well? I love it. You don't like rom-coms. Have you seen... Oh, I, I tell you what, my favourite rom-com, and I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm not embarrassed, is that one with you, Grant, and Martin McCutcheon. Love, actually. Brilliant. Oh, love absolutely. it. Absolutely. If, if you've not got a tear in your eye near the end of that, there is something I wrong like Mamma Mia. Is that a rom-com? No, not when Piers Brosnan's singing. I like oh, Mamma Mia. Come on, Robbie. Come on, Robbie. Not Piers Brosnan singing. I like Mamma Mia. You've got to watch La La Land if you like musicals. Have you seen that? I would sooner bleed the radiators. Thank you, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie, motivational yeah. speeches. You're a believer in these. I know Freddie doesn't do them. Let's, let's get. I got a bit. I want to know Robbie's film. Yeah, first. and that. Good point. Well, my film, I would say, Escape to Victory. Every Christmas, um, you know, the way they escaped. The way that the Rocky... Way escape, I'm going to meet you. You're, you're telling, the way they escaped to victory. Yeah. You're telling yeah. me I love it. that a group of footballers wouldn't have taken an easy option and just disappeared through the bath. <laughs> They'd have been straight through the bath. I'm not playing. It's the second game of the week. But it was the whole... I'm, I'm going. I'm getting down this bath, Mike Summerby. John Walk. We're going. We're going. Rocky, I'm not ball, ball, ball was in goal. I'm in a week. I'm tired. <laughs> Mate, Pele... 
Pele with the overhead kick. He broke his arm. <laughs> it was fantastic. The way, you know, it was brilliant. It was. It's a great film. So mine, Escape to Victory. Do you, do you know with Escape to Victory, um, when, I, when I moved to Manchester when I was younger, I got to know Mike Summerby really well. And we used to go out to his house. And one day I went round to his house and he was in the film, but he'd had this trailer of Escape to Victory made with just him in it. Really? <laughs> so it looked like that Mike Summerby <laughs> was in every scene. It was an amazing film. Great but film, great film. My, my, my film, as far as I am concerned, and I'm sure everyone on Twitter and social media will back it up with me, there is only one group of sports films ever worth talking about, and that is Rocky. Rocky Brilliant. Four, in particular, Ivan Drago, Apollo Creed dies, Tear Jerker, the Rocky, best film yeah. you've ever got. Yeah, Rocky, I've, yeah, yeah. I agree with you on yeah, Rocky, but Rocky, I like Rocky Four better than Rocky One and Two. Rocky One, Rocky One was good. It was a bit slow, a bit slow, but Rocky Two was better than the first one. And I've said that though. I'm on about Rocky Three now. Club of Lang, Mister T. Yeah, oh great. my! Ivan Drago was the one four. Oh, what about? Um, what about? Hey, Paulie. Hey, Paulie. Who's that? That, that was that little fella. <laughs> Hey, Paulie. Hey, Paulie, Paulie. Adrian's brother. Yes, right, yeah. yeah. Paulie, but who yeah. were you doing saying Paulie? Rocky? <laughs> I was trying to do Rocky. Was that, that, was that Adrian? <laughs> I had no idea who it was. Hey, Paulie. <laughs> it wasn't like that. It was. It wasn't. It was. Uh, they shouldn't have made Rocky Five with Danny Morrison. That was an absolute disgrace. But then they somehow dragged... Tommy, the... Tommy Morrison. Tommy Morrison. Who's Danny Morrison? <laughs> Ex-cricketer, New Zealand. <laughs> but then they dragged it back, didn't they, with Rocky Balboa at the end. Corny as you like, however it worked. End scene, he's got his fist up in the air. This is what I wanted when I boxed. This is what I'm talking about. I wanted to leave the beast in the ring and walk out and put my hand up in the air, but it didn't happen. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got knocked over by a fat man from Atlanta. <laughs> but what, in, in the Rocky film, what was the name of this? Was it Mick, the trainer? Mick. Who came up with a that incredible... Kill you, Rocky. Was that moment, wasn't there? In Rocky, was it You're Rocky 2? Where Rocky, he started becoming complacent. He did. Or was it Rocky Three Rocky, when Clubber Lang was coming Ro along? Ro and, he got, and he gave that amazing speech and he turned it around for Rocky. He really got him galvanised with this speech. Speeches can make a difference. Robbie, yes oh. or no? Oh, did I listen? So basically, you know when you go on a team huddle, mm. you know before a game, Matthew, when you and Fred, you've yeah. seen it, when the team, the opposition or your team will go into the huddle. We used to do a huddle. And do you know what? As captain... I used to say stuff, and I've been in huddles where captains have said, and I didn't listen to a word. I was mentally focused on what I was doing. Before a game, Matthew, in a changing room, the manager or somebody would say something inspirational. I would have my own routine. I mm. would blank in everything out. I was getting ready. I was getting prepared. You know, and I'll be honest with you, motivational speeches are great. I remember, I remember, we were struggling at Derby, and this is more psychology. We had a guy come into the football club, right, and we were losing games to try and change us. And there was a th thing called anchors. Anchors you put in your brain. Do you know what I mean? Anchors? Are you sure they were that, saying that to you, Rob? <laughs> 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 was it directed at you? Seriously, what are they called, Matthew? Those people who come into clubs, psychologists, are they? Yeah. What are they yeah. called? Yeah, and psychologists. They, and they train your brain to when you're going through bad times. Right. So this guy coming to the football club, we were losing games. So we all stood there and it was... Think of one of the best moments you've ever seen, yeah, but you've ever done in the game. Mine was scoring a penalty, and I was thinking about it, and you press your two fingers like where your pulse is, yeah, and you think about it for 30 seconds, and then you take that with you for the rest of the season. So when you're in a bad moment, press on your 
press on your pulse, and then you'll see yourself scoring a penalty. Absolute nonsense. <laughs> Absolute nonsense when I kept giving the ball. I'm going to press. I used to, I used to have my two fingers on me pulse all the way through the 90 minutes. <laughs> nonsense. But there, but there was a speech that made a difference, Robbie. There was well, one. One, it was my dad. I haven't got it with me, but in my book, in my autobiography, when I left home at 15, my dad wrote me a letter, and it was the most fantastic letter I've ever received. You know, go on, son, you know, I'm proud of you. And it, that letter is amazing. It wasn't so much of a speech, but that is one... But that's different, isn't it? It is different. It's from your different father. From my father. So it's a bit different, but, you know, when times were hard, instead of putting two fingers on my pulse thinking of scoring a penalty, <laughs> I would read my father's letter. So that is different. That was more, more of a, a personal thing, but... Motivational speeches, I'm not so sure. Oh, I tell you what, people earn money out of them. I, I can't get my head around it. I, if I, I was in a team, right, and if they needed motivating, go home. I do not want you anywhere near this team. You're playing cricket, you're playing for Lancashire, you're playing for England, and you need motivating. Oh, come on. And then you've got all these motivational quotes. You used to go around the dressing rooms in England, so you play at Birmingham and you go in Warwickshire's dressing room and wherever you are, and you knew who was having a bad season by what was on the walls because some of them, these dressing rooms were littered with these pointless quotes. Pain is temporary, quitting lasts forever. Hey, Lance Armstrong, get me up, son. Hey, Lance Armstrong. Listen, listen to this one. There may be people more talent than you, but there's no excuse for anyone to work harder than you. Who cares? Obstacles don't have to stop you. If you run into a wall, don't turn around and give up. Figure out how to climb it. Go through it or walk around it. Derek Jeter, Yankees baseball. Problem. How do you go through a wall? I don't know. It's, it's pointless. Jess Ennis. Here we go. I, I'm, I like your heptathlons, but the only one who can tell you you can't win is you, and you don't have to listen. What, what, yeah. what does that that's mean, what, Jess? One. What, what does it mean? Failing okay, to prepare is preparing to fail, yeah, I've Matthew. Heard, I've, heard, I've heard that Roy one. Fre Freddie, did you ever have anyone come in and oh, speak to the England or Lancashire cricket team? Just tell us how you reacted to it. Don't get me on this, right? <laughs> no, let's let's. Right, we, we, World Cup, right? 2007. We're in the West Indies. It's not going particularly right on and off the field for the team. In particular, me. Right, I've been done on a little pedal, a plastic boat, so I've been sacked from vice <laughs> captain, I've been banned for a game, I've been fined, I'm playing for free. So they, they think they need to bring someone in to motivate the team. So we, we all get gathered in a meeting room and then this man walks in. Steve Redgrave walks in to give us a motivational speech. Now, you think about the irony of this, right? I have got in a small plastic boat... <laughs> I have got banned, I have got fined, I have got disgraced. In comes a man who does it for a living and gets knighted. <laughs> so he, he, he comes in and tells us some jolly tales about rowing and, oh, we worked hard and Matthew said one day, Pinson, oh, we've got to work a little bit harder and James said yes. So we carried on, we carried on going through all this and then he told us what we should do when we win the toffs. He said, oh, you think you should have a bat first? <laughs> Nothing to do with you, stay in the water. <laughs> Nothing to do with you, dry land. So we sat there thinking, what is going on? Why are we listening to this? I once gave a motivational speech before the tour of 2006-07 to Australia. I knew the lads liked them, I didn't. So I scoured the internet to find a motivational passage. So when they walked into the meeting room, on the chairs were all these pieces of paper. It was from the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. I got a quote, I got a quote, a quote from Narnia. So I thought, I'm going to give it them. I'm going to read it to them. So I'm reading Narnia. 
to a group of adults <laughs> who were looking at me and they're, they're thinking, this is good stuff, this is good stuff. <laughs> we had another one, right? <laughs> same, same time, right? I booked this fella to come and do one, right? Because I'd, I'd set him up with Narnia. I thought, right, I'll get this fella. The Lions rugby team, he give that fantastic oh, speech. Yeah, um... Ian McGeekin, he's going to knock it out of the park. So he turns up, he's got a blue shirt on. And he sets up, he's got his Mac. He's only just got his Mac. He's only had it two days, right? <laughs> so he's wired it up to the projector. So he starts going, and here we were, we was in Australia, we're up against it. And then he presses. <laughs> and then someone comes on the internet like a, a, a laughing dog or something. <laughs> he's like, he couldn't work his computer. So he's going through this hour speech, and he was getting otter and otter and more flustered. He had this blue shirt on, there were sweat patches <laughs> under his arms. He was making me nervous just watching him, never mind motivating him. And he sat down, bless him. So I'm, I'm sorry, but motivational speeches. I'm open to do them if someone wants to pay them. Just, they're going to businesses now. They're going to businesses and they relate rowing to business. It's like, how do you do it? How do you do this? Come is on. Is there any speech you've ever heard, Freddie? Any speech you've ever heard from a coach? From an external speaker, rowing, laughing dogs, blue shirt, sweat patches, anything that has ever made a slight difference to the way you approach your, your cricket? Um, no, no. If I, I'd be honest with you, I motivated myself. I wanted to be there. I wanted to do it. What about oh, yeah. this one? Hey, the more I practice, the luckier I get. No, you don't. You, you get, get better. better. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's nonsense, Matthew. But you do this for a living, don't but you? No, I mean, just circling <laughs> back for a second. Who would play you in a film? So, finishing the Oscar um, topic, sure. let's go round the table. First of all, who, Freddie, do you think should play me in the Hollywood movie about the ping pong guy? Do you want me to be honest? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, if Danny DeVito slimmed down, <laughs> if he lost a few pounds, I reckon he's your man. I can't. Like the penguin. Have you seen the penguin? Was it you who sent me the text the with penguin. Danny DeVito as the penguin? That was Robbie. That was Robbie. Nice. <laughs> like it. Freddie. Who would play Freddie? Yeah. So I reckon early on in my career, yeah. Amy Schumer. Now, I'm going I'm going early on in your career. <laughs> <laughs> early on in your career, John Candy. John Candy. It's harsh, but good. Harsh. Um, but now I'm thinking, look at him now. You know, you, you, who would play you now? And I'm just trying to think of it. So somebody you relate, you could relate to. So, you know, you're not a bad singer. Not bad. Not great. Not bad. Um, being in the jungle. Being <laughs> yeah. in the jungle. Um, fitness. Look at you. You're the best shape you've ever been in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, people like him. I think Jake Quickenden. Could play you now. Jay Quickenden. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to get a Hollywood A-list. Jay Quickenden. Yeah. Well, he's not a bad he singer. Jim. Yeah, exactly. He's not a bad singer. Look, people like him. I thought he was going to say... He likes like, reality TV shows. I thought he was going to say Brad Pitt. Or no, I've got Jay Quickenden. He does the dancing on La La Land. Fred, who are you going for for Robbie? Who's, who's going to play Robbie? Well, where do you want me to start here, Matthew? <laughs> There's so many options. I've been racking my brains and thinking, and the one person who's... It just comes to light every time. Is Gail Platt off Corrie? <laughs> Gail Platt. Gail Platt off Coronation Street. What are you laughing at, man? Just bang out of order. <laughs> Gail Platt. Gail Platt, who's got the kids, who's been in it for years and years. Well, You've got the same colourings. <laughs> 
<laughs> the actress, by the way, is called Helen Worth. What do you think, Robbie? Oh, to be fair, you was going for Pat Butcher earlier. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pat Butcher, same earlier. But on, on a serious note, if they were going to make a film of the ping pong guy, <laughs> if, you, if you could have all the actors and actresses in the world to play you, who would you choose, Matthew? The guy who looks the most like me in any film I've ever seen is, is Ben Kingsley and Gandhi. And when I the, I'll the tell guy, Robbie I what Gandhi is later. <laughs> um, thanks, Rob. Thanks, Fred. Brilliant discussion. If you've got more suggestions for great movies or the person who should play Robbie, if it's not going to be Helen Worth, do tweet us <laughs> hashtag Fred Sav Side. We're downloadable on podcast via the Five Live website and all the usual places. If you're listening on Five Live, do come in. Tune in next week at 10 p.m. But for now, from all of us, thanks for listening. Thank you for downloading the Flintoff Savage and the Ping Pong Guy podcast. If you like what you hear, then why not have a look at what else Five Live podcasts have to offer at bbc.co.uk forward slash Five Live. Introducing Pocket Cast, the powerful podcasting platform recognized by Wired Magazine as the podcast app every iPhone user needs and by the New York Times as the favorite among podcast experts. Pocket Cast is beautifully designed, easy to use, and helps you quickly discover and enjoy your favorite podcasts with over 700,000 shows to choose from. Download the app, now free, at pocketcast.com.